Okay. Um, my title tonight is Living Sacrifices. Sounds fun. I'm not going to ask anybody to sacrifice themselves in a horrendous way. Um, and I put a quote up there that I found. In three words, I can sum up everything I've learned about life. It goes on. And it's interesting, the video we've watched and what Joel says in the, um, said in the welcome, because we, we haven't spoken about what I'm going to talk about. Um, but life does go on, doesn't it? Have you ever noticed, whatever your experience of life is, whether we, we label it good or bad, it inevitably goes on. And I wondered, as I was thinking about how much of the time, sometimes, does it feel like life is kind of just happening around us? And almost you look back and think, has anyone ever, has anyone ever driven the car and arrived somewhere and you don't remember driving the journey? Or is that just me? <laughs> you get they think, I don't remember that happening. And how often do you get to the end of a day or the end of a week and it's just absolutely whizzed by? And I've been really thinking a lot about how much of my life I'm engaging with And how much of my life I'm just existing in. And I want to sort of share some ideas I've had about that with you tonight. I'm going to start just by reading one very, very short story from the Bible. It's in Mark 12. And it's only a few lines, so the whole thing will come up in a minute. And then I just want to reflect on it for a few minutes. So it says, sitting across from the offering box, Jesus was observing how the crowd threw money in for the collection. Many of the rich were making large contributions... One poor widow came up and put in two small coins, a measly two cents. Jesus called his disciples and said, The truth is that this poor widow gave more to the collection than all the others put together. All the others gave what they'll never miss. She gave extravagantly what she couldn't afford. She gave her all. Now, before I start to sort of think about this story, um, I want to tell you another little anecdote um, that I'm going to keep referring to as we go through because it's going to be relevant. Um, My husband has had a very poorly knee. He's had two poorly knees. And as if on cue, here he comes limping down the aisle just to prove my point. Um, That was like it was timed, wasn't it? Um, um, He's had operations on both knees and they had to have a second operation recently on one of the knees because it didn't work very well first time. So he's been working... um, very, very long hours in a very physical job. Um, and it's, he was in a lot, of, a lot of pain, a lot of pain. And you know how there's that stereotypical thing where like men can be really awful patients and us women. In our house, I will honestly tell you it's the opposite. I am horrendous when I'm ill and he's actually very, very good. All credit to him, he's very good when he's ill. He handles the pain very, very well. Um, and one morning, we were both sort of due to go to work that day, and he gets up at about 5 o'clock in the morning, and normally I sleep through. But on this particular morning, a few weeks ago, I was very conscious that he was lying there in a lot of pain. So it woke me up, and I knew we had to go to work. So I said, you know, when's this operation going to come through? We were waiting for a date. It wasn't arriving. He'd been to the doctor. We were waiting for this date to come through. And um, I said, well, you know, at least this date's going to come through, then your knee's going to be fixed. So he said, just quite nice, he said, well, you know, even if I have the operation, it, might, it still might not fix it. it. It might not do it. So I'm saying, well, well what do you mean it won't fix it? In my head, he's going to have the operation. This is going to be over. No more pain. He went, well, it might not work. It didn't work last time. So he gets up, goes to work, and I lie there. And my brain being what it is, within two minutes, I had very calmly decided that Graham needed his leg amputated. Now... <laughs> This, to me, was perfectly sensible. It wasn't until he pointed out to me later in the day that I realised this wasn't logical and it is just my brain. Because my head said, um, 
He is in pain. He cannot stay in pain. He cannot live like this for the rest of his life. Therefore, the best thing would be if he had his leg chopped off, then there'd be a process where, yes, he'd have to get used to his prosthetic leg and we'd have to help our son adapt to that and we'd have to claim on the critical illness insurance and there'd be a period of transition. But eventually, we would all adjust and have a much better life and with his prosthetic leg. This was... This was perfectly logical to my mind. So I went to work, and it's the back of my mind all day, how we're going to handle this and <laughs> everything else. So when he came home, I, I can't remember what the conversation was, but I remember expressing this to him along the lines of, it's okay, if you have, you have to have your leg off, we're going to be fine. And he looks at me as if I'm a crazy woman. And he says, what are you talking about? I went, well, you said your leg wasn't going to get any better, so therefore we're going to have to... Have your leg off. Why is that not? That's what you said. That's what it means. Not any better. Chop it off. Um, So he proceeded to tell me that it was five o'clock in the morning. He was incredibly tired, feeling a little bit sorry for himself. And he really was quite all right. Now, I'm telling you that story because that happens all the time. Somebody says something and we hear something else. And that becomes our version of events that we then live by, make decisions based on, and off we go on our merry little way. And how much of the time are we hearing something that is not even being, being said from somebody else? How many times do we go home from wherever we've been, with whoever we've been, and we've had a whole conversation that to us was very, very real, but to the other person, they're not even aware that that conversation happened. Now, as we come to this story, I really want us to try and really listen to it tonight. We might all all hear different things, but let's at least be prepared to hear what's really within it and not come to it with perhaps our own preconceived ideas. Because I think sometimes in our modern high-tech world where every single minute is accounted for, don't you think sometimes our connectedness with each other and our ability to listen is actually really sometimes quite difficult because we're always half listening to what's going on because we're always busy thinking about something else. Now, people right now are available at the touch of a button. And I sometimes think, well, let me read what I've put down here. I think those of us who are very busy in particular can be very like the rich man in this story with our time. We throw pieces of ourselves that we won't miss into the pot of life as we pass by on our way to wherever is next on our journey to accumulating all we need in life. So we're there and we're throwing stuff at work, we're throwing stuff at family, we're throwing stuff at church, we're throwing stuff in the shopping trolley at Tesco's, we're throwing stuff in. But is any moment in our life getting our all? Is any moment getting our all or are we just throwing bits of ourselves as we pass through life, not really always connecting with what's going on? Now, we don't always engage with people. We don't always think through our choices, uh, our choices about who we're going to be, what we're going to say, or what we're going to do. And I love that in this story, Jesus calls his disciples over. He spots a moment. He calls his disciples over to teach them something. And what he's teaching them is that there's somebody, this woman has no way of accumulating anything else extra for her life. She's a widow. She hasn't got a way of earning money. She's just, that is all she's got. But yet in that day, on that moment, she puts in all of it. Just the lot. That's all she's got that day. But that's what goes into that pot. 
Now, kingdom economics can seem very bizarre and foolish because if it's all well and good saying, oh, well, you know, she just put in her two coins and she's putting more than everybody else. But if everybody does that, how are you going to pay for any stuff? And so we get down this route of thinking, well, that's all well and good to say that you're so-and-so is throwing in everything they've got, but it's not going to get the job done around here, is it? But let's hear what Jesus is really saying here. Because if the widow gave more to the collection than all the others put together, it can't be about money, this story, can it? Because that's not true. She didn't give more than the others. She gave two teeny tiny coins, and they all threw in a lot more than that. So it's not about money. Somehow or other... This story is about how. It said Jesus observed how they were giving, in what way they were giving, how they were going about their daily life. And they had a choice. He didn't demand that those who, with much more, who put in more, sorry, he didn't demand that those who had more put in more. He didn't go up to the rich bloke and say, you aren't putting enough, put some more in. He didn't condemn them for not doing that. He might, he didn't, I'd, from this, he didn't even speak to the rich man or the poor widow. He was observing and then using it as a way to teach the people who'd gathered around him to say, come on, Jesus, teach us how life works, which surely we're those people here tonight. Now, he was reinforcing his message again to those who had gathered around him putting up another signpost to say that this thing isn't measured on your tangible material structures in life, your social positions, your religious devotion. It's measured on your hows, on your ways, on the things that come from within. We all have a how to our life, a how we do things, the way we go about things. Now, we can all very much struggle with each other's ways of doing things because don't we all have different ways of doing things and my way makes absolute sense to me so when someone wants to do it another way I think that is nonsense because that does not make sense to me so the way they're doing is nonsense let me show you a picture of a mountain okay imagine this mountain it's a classic picture I know (laughs) Um, imagine this mountain, okay? Now imagine all of us in here tonight, we all decide that we're going, there was a way we're going to get up that mountain and we have a choice. We're going to do a quick survey, okay? So here are all the options. We'll do a quick vote and decide which way you would go. So would you walk straight up the mountain using climbing gear where necessary for the steep bits? Um, that's going to be the fastest route, but it's also going to be the most extreme route. Would you walk up the path? So you go on a little sort of hike. Would you cycle up, weaving up the mountain? Would you get in a car? I'd rather drive up the mountain. Someone's going, yay, bring on the car. Would you take a ski lift up the mountain, assuming that the snow, and then you can sort of ski your way down? Would you helicopter land onto the mountain? Or would you go home because you think climbing mountains is really stupid? So, are you ready? Have you picked a number? There's not a test. No one can fail. I'm just interested in our ways. Okay, number one. Who would do number one? One person. We're an extreme lot in here tonight, aren't we? Who would do number two? You'd walk. Ah, a number of you. My parents would definitely do two. Number three, cycle. My son would cycle. You're on your own. (laughs) Number four. You can go with your auntie. She cycles at mountains. She's daft. Who would do number four? I would drive. (laughs) That's me. Who would do number five? Okay, ski lift. Six, come on. Who's got... Oh, look at this. <laughs> oh. And who would do number seven? My husband's going to put his hand up. I knew that. <laughs> okay, now, is there, are any of those ways incorrect? 
Oh, which one? Helicopter. You're right. You are right. One of us is incorrect. Ignore the bits in brackets because it would be faster. It depends where the helicopter leaves from. <laughs> That's my now. Um, <laughs> and how long it takes. It's a slow helicopter. Now, the, can you, are you getting what I mean? All of those routes are a way up that mountain, but all of us want to take a different way up the mountain, and nobody's way is wrong. We just all have different ways of going about climbing the mountain. Now, having said that, I've lost my place, it's all right. Okay, each of those is an outward expression of the mountain, and our outward expression can indicate something about the sort of person that we are. My sister lives in the middle of the Pyrenees Mountains and she finds it fun to try and cycle up them. I th- Why? Go in the car and have a little walk and an ice cream at the top. I don't get that. I'm, I'm not an outdoorsy person. I don't particularly. If I'm there, I might climb a little bit of the mountain. That isn't me at all. But it says something about us. She loves the outdoors. She's climbed to the base camp of Everest. She's done all that stuff. She's lived in a tent and not washed for 10 days. I want a hotel. I want luxury. Don't get it, by the way. But that's what I want. Um, that, that's what I... That's, what I want. Now, it does say something about us. And the truth is, how we out- express outwardly in our ways does suggest something about our character. Now, Jesus could measure this widow in the story and say she's put in more because for this woman to put in everything she has, if she puts in every penny she has, she hasn't got anything else coming in. She could die. So that does indicate something about her level of devotion, doesn't it? It's costing her everything she's got. The guys who were very, very rich and just throwing a few pennies in passing without even really probably thinking about it, that indicates something about them. So although there's no way up the mountain that's right or that's wrong, I do think sometimes we need to pay attention to what our ways express about our heart. So what are your outwards in your life at the minute saying about what is going on in your inwards? What are they indicating to you? What are some of the ways you might be expressing yourself within your relationships, within your life, that is actually going to tell you something if you listen to it about actually where your heart's at? What are you obsessing over? What's getting your time? And what is that saying about you? Now, what are they indicating about you? And will you, like Jesus in this story, observe that, pay attention to it, use it as a teaching tool to gain a measure of yourself and make a very deliberate decision about whether this is a choice that you want to keep making or whether you want to make new ones? Because you have a choice, but that choice is taking you somewhere. Now, Hebrews 11 Let me read you this. This is at the end of... Sorry, it's not Hebrews 11. It's Romans 11. I've written that down wrong. It's going to come up on the slide. It says this. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counsellor or who who has first given to him that it shall be repaid to him? For of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. 
Now, I know I've done that in a sort of old-fashioned version, but basically, let's sum it up. It's saying he has a depth of wisdom and knowledge and judgments, which aren't negative, the way he sort of is evaluating things, that we can't fully search and get our head around. His ways are just somehow beyond our ways. Well past our finding out, there's something mysterious about him. We don't fully know him. We don't counsel him on how this thing works. He doesn't need our advice on it. He lets us partner with him, but he doesn't need our advice on it. We didn't start this ball rolling, so somehow we can't say, well, you owe me, God, because look what I've started. He is somehow beyond us and very wonderful with it. So the conclusion that the writer comes to is, whoa, this is just, his ways are so much bigger than mine. He's so fantastic, so wonderful beyond me. And then this is what it goes on to say straight after this in Romans 12, under the title, Living Sacrifices to God. I beseech you, therefore, brethren... I know it's the old-fashioned version, but I like it. By the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not conform to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So whatever this process is, It's going to lead us somewhere really great where life works. Because look what you get on the last line. I get to prove in my life, in your life, what is his goodness, acceptance, and perfect ways. That'll do for me. I'd like to know what they are. I'd like to know that for me, my family, my friends, this place. I'd like to know that for those around me. That's got to be worth having. That's all very good news. So what's happened is the writer's just established a bunch of stuff at the end of the last chapter about God. And this idea that he surpasses us in every single wonderful way. And that our best response to that, therefore, is to actually show up and be available. That's, it says our reasonable service. He says that's the rational thing to do. The only rational response to discovering that there's somebody who knows more than you, is more than you, surpasses you in every way, is to show up and say, I'm going to be with you. Because it seems to me that your ways are beyond my ways. So that seems like a good place to me to hang around. So here's what I want you to do is what it says in the message version. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. So all the widow had to offer was what she had in that day. So that's what she bought. Now put simply... In the Bible, the old system where there were animal sacrifices that you had to bring without blemish, there needed to be nothing wrong with them, um, at the appropriate times each year to the priest to satisfy the requirements of the law. Now Jesus says, that law is satisfied in me. He introduces a new way. And now we are presented with this idea that somehow we are the living sacrifice who has to show up holy and acceptable to God. So it's us that's coming now. Now, this is where we, have, we think that we have to amputate our legs because we mishear what this is saying. When it says that we have to present ourselves as a sacrifice and we need to be wholly unacceptable, what we think and what we hear is that, right, I have to make myself wholly unacceptable by sacrificing my life, by doing this, by doing that, by going without, by working my very hardest such that I can turn up and present myself to God and somehow serve him. And we hear that we must become holy and acceptable to God, where it actually doesn't say 
that we must do that. Do you remember Anth talking about the parenthesis where things go in brackets? Will you put that next slide up, James? Right, look, I've put it in brackets, right? Those commas act as brackets in that sentence. So that you present your bodies, take out the red bit for now. We present our bodies a living sacrifice, which is our reasonable service. The most rational thing to do. You're brilliant. The most best thing for me to do is just turn up. Now, the bit the wholly acceptable to God is extra information about what sort of sacrifice you are. You are a holy one who is acceptable to God. It doesn't say in there that you've got to make yourself holy and acceptable to God. It actually says that you are holy and acceptable to God, and that is the state you present yourself in. You think, do you know what? I'm going to show up, and because of his gift of righteousness on my life, when I show up, he sees that I'm holy, he sees that I'm acceptable, which in itself is an absolute miracle, but that's how we show up, and that's how, how we show up each day to live our lives. Now, is everyone all right? Yeah. Now we here, and we here can some, we can hear in that passage that we need to amputate the rubbish stuff from our lives in order to present ourselves as a sacrifice, suitably cut and wounded and dead to self. But we also miss the word living. You are a living sacrifice because he actually wants us to show up alive, alive. He doesn't want us to show up like. He wants us to show up like, yes, I'm alive, I'm connected, I'm engaged, I get what you've done for me, I get who you are, and I'm showing up today with everything I might have going on in my day-to-day, I'm showing up for it. I'm showing up for my day-to-day. Now, the sacrifice is made a way to be pleasing to God, but we are not the way to be pleasing to God. We show up living, trusting in his good for us. Good is gift to us, and in essence, we show up alive, embracing our acceptance and rightness, revealed to us as a gift, and say, I'm in today. Tell me about your ways. Tell me what ways you've got on, on your mind today, God. Now, I watched a terrible film yesterday. Don't watch it. It's called About Times by Richard Curtis, who normally does a good film, but it's rubbish. It's rubbish, Amy. It's rubbish. It's rubbish. Some people think it's good. Okay, I watched a film that I thought was a rubbish film yesterday. Normally, I'm going to say a good bit. (laughs) Chill. Now, all the males in one family can time travel, but only within their own lifetime. Yeah, (laughs) I was going to spoil it because I didn't think anyone would go and watch it after I slated it, but these think it's good. Now, the guy, the guy who time time travels back uses this time travel to make his life, to correct any mistakes that he makes in his life. So if he lives a day and he doesn't do a good job or something goes wrong, he goes back in time by standing in a cupboard and squeezing his fist. He goes back in time to that moment again and he fixes it and gets it right. And he, on his dad's advice, what he starts doing is living every day twice. So he lives his day He he has all the tensions and the stresses. He goes to order a coffee and barely looks up at the person serving him because he's busy. And he goes and does that day and and lives it and it just passes him by. So what he does then when he goes to bed or whenever he, or the following morning, is he goes back in time by standing in a dark room and clenching his fist. He goes back in time and he lives that same day again, trying to do everything as similarly as he can, but this time he really lives it. 
He notices the little details, the little moments. He um, makes the tense, tense moments, he lightens them by adding humor. When he goes and gets the coffee from the same girl who served him the day before when he was too busy to notice, he looks up at greets her like a friend and connects with her in like, yay, it's you again. Um, and he actually lives his day the second time over to really live it alive and appreciate in each of the moment. Now, you can get the point, can't you? That somehow or other, the days that we live, when we live them off the cuff as we do, as we all travel through our time, we miss stuff all the time. Now, what's lovely at the end of the film, the decent moment for me, was at the end of the film, he learns the greatest lesson and he stops time traveling and he endeavors to live every day, and this is what he says, as if, as if I had deliberately come back in time to live this day. And he decides that every day he's going to live it as if he's traveled back in time to live it again. But he's not going to travel back in time. He's just going to try and live all of his days just once and really well. And uh, it really, it, I did love that moment. It wasn't worth watching the other two hours for, but I did love that moment. Because how deliberately are we trying to live each day or do we just throw our spare change at the things that we think we should be giving to? I should be doing this, so I will. I better do that. We better go to church. We better go and see grandma. We better go and do this, that, and the other. Because, oh, well, it's what we should do. Um, how? I'm sorry. <laughs> I wasn't thinking of you. <gasps> I, was, I really wasn't thinking of you. <laughs> Just got myself in complete trouble there. Oh, I promise I wasn't thinking of you. Oh, dear, I'm in trouble with my mother-in-law. <laughs> um, we better do those things. You get my point. Now... Now, have our ways become even less sacrifices? So have we, have we even stopped sacrificing to anything? Do we now even just only live to do the things that we have to do? Or are we, are we actually really thinking about what we're investing our time in? And are we living? Are we actually living? Be transformed by the renewing of your minds. That's what it says. That's going to take us engaging with the things in our life that are massive indicators to us of what we value and making some real choices. So where are your current choices taking you? And is that where you want to go? Is that where you want to go? Or are you just going there really without really getting that that's where you've, that's the course you've set your life for? Because if you set your course down that route, guess what? You're going to go there. You're going to go there. Now, this is not a message about giving things up for the kingdom and doing more for the kingdom. It's about turning up to do life out of the awesome gift that we've been given and heading in an expansive direction, one that's going to widen our lives and broaden our lives. Now, we choose things we've always chosen. We can respond how we've always responded. And we forget sometimes to ask, who told you? Do you remember that moment in the Garden of Eden where God turns up and Adam and Eve are suddenly acting all weird and different and they put clothes on when before they were naked and didn't mind? And God goes, who told you? Who told you you now needed to wear clothes? That wasn't a conversation we had. It's like, who told you to chop off your leg? Yeah, who told you? That wasn't a conversation we have. Well, so-and-so did this, said this, and I thought it meant this, so I chopped my leg off. And, And that's how we live life. What if that's not what was said? What if by asking a question, checking our understanding, communicating we actually realize that we've misinterpreted and we can live a different day, a different way and head in a new direction. Um, I'm reading, was reading a book this week and 
some guy was on the verge of leaving a church where he wasn't allowed to question anything. And what he said to himself was, how can you be alive if you're not allowed to think? And it really struck me when I read this, because sometimes we tell ourselves that we're living life and we're not thinking. We're not even thinking about what we're doing. We're just on autopilot. If we can function in life without thinking, are we living like those rich men did who wouldn't miss what they threw in as they passed? The woman had to think about her life and what it meant and what her way was going to be. She had to think about it because it was going to make all the difference. Here are my last few thoughts. There's a wonderful verse in the Bible that says, many are called, but few are chosen. And I used to think, well, what does that mean? Many are called, but few are chosen. Does that mean God only picks some of us? I mean, what does that mean? I remember having a conversation with um, Anth about it a few months ago now. And he said to me that if God's call, if if God called many, many of us, all of us, God calls. The few he are chosen, sometimes it is because God calls us, but we're not available to be chosen. So God can say, woo, yay, come along with me and do this. And we're like, no, I think I'll go over there and do that instead. We don't let it choose us. There's also another wonderful verse in Philippians where the writer expresses his belief that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That's a great thought. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. So I guess my question tonight is, are we willing to let him choose us? And will we let him complete what he started? Will we do that by being all in each day to live life, not exist in it, but to live it, own our choices and engage with what we're doing? In the story, um, in the book of Daniel, there's three guys, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And at the time, if the music played, everyone in that community had to bow. They had to bow to the king. That's what you did. These three guys heard that music one day and did something else. Yeah, they got them in a fire for it, but they got out. But they did something else. And sometimes we are so busy bowing to the tune that is always playing in our life that we don't even question the notes anymore. It's like, yeah, that happens, I do this. So-and-so says that, I react like that. This happens, I do that. We don't even know why we're bowing to it anymore, but the music plays and there we go. When do we start questioning what we're doing? When do we start asking ourselves those questions? Many of us have been tapping out the same tunes for a while. Time for a new song. Time to live, perhaps, each day with a different purpose. Final bit. What purpose can we live to? Again, I stole this from a book, but I liked it. What if, instead of arguing about which way is correct and legitimate, think about that mountain, do we need to argue over whether you want to walk or whether I want to drive or whether you want to go skiing, Instead of arguing about which way is correct and legitimate, what if we were to honour, appreciate and validate one another and see ourselves as servants of one grander mission, one greater mission, seekers on one ultimate quest? What would that one mission and quest be? What one great danger do people need to be saved from? And more positively, what one great purpose do they need to be saved for? The church exists to form Christ-like people, people of Christ-like love. It exists to save us from the hell of becoming and staying the worst we can be and to save us for what one saint called the glory of God, to be humanity fully alive.
fully alive. Now, this might sound depressing, but I think it might help someone tonight as it helped me. I am now two years older than my brother-in-law who died so tragically uh, six years ago now. And I'm two years older than he was when he dies. And it sobers me so much because I think about, I've even put down here the stupid little things. We sang it tonight. I think I'm living two years longer than he got to live. And how much time am I missing in my relationships? Because I'm busy, I'm worrying, I'm preoccupied, I'm insecure, I'm feeling this, I'm feeling that, I'm mad. How much time am I missing? Because I'm just bowing to the same old tunes. Now, if you, like me, want to stop wasting moments and be fully alive, then let's start embracing his gift to us, presenting ourselves confidently before God confidently and let's allow him to choose us now might we be less capable than others maybe might we have less than others the widow had less than those people so you might be looking thinking well I want to present myself to God but I've not got as much as them over there or them over there and I'm not as good at that and not as good at that we might have less we might be less but how can God partner with a heart that hasn't shown up he can want to, he can be willing to, he can have everything in, in place. Um, and I want to show up to allow him to complete whatever he wants to do with me. And if others choose not to show up, if you choose not to show up, I can't do much about that. But I can be willing to be chosen and I can be available because I think I've wasted and still waste too much time half living. Matthew 6 verse 27 says, which of you by worrying can add one inch to your height or to your life, whichever interpretation you want? What, oh, the stuff we get our heads stuck over it doesn't change a single thing. Too much time wasted. So who fancies being humanity fully alive? I love that video where that guy, I think that guy was a guy that was fully alive. In that moment, he stood, looked around at his situation, thought, what matters here? What matters here? Made a choice, and that choice ended up doing something wonderful and rich for him. But even if it hadn't, it was still a fantastic choice. I want to be fully alive. Now, if you feel like you are living half a life, maybe even a tenth of a life or even 90% because you know that somehow you're not engaging with your choices, you're getting bogged down by the wrong things and you want to be a human being somehow fully alive and presenting yourself to God tonight. Let's, let's stand, let's pray and let's somehow believe that we can hear another tune. We can hear another tune. Okay, if you wish to stand, you may. If not, let's pray. Stay where you're sitting. Seated. God, I want to thank you tonight that you said that you've come that we might have life and have it in all its fullness. And sometimes life doesn't feel that full. We feel emptied by the irritants, by the issues, by things going on, by things we've got to do, by the sheer volume of things that take up space, and by lots and lots, Lord, of stupid little things that become the song we bow to, and we get to the end of the day and wonder what it was all about. Lord, I want to pray tonight that somehow within the depths of our heart, we'll all hear another tune tonight. We'll hear another tune that shows us, Lord, what it means to be fully alive, that we will somehow live each day on purpose for the purpose of becoming Christ-like people with Christ-like love to reveal the very best 
within others that we meet in every moment of every day, that there won't be moments where we're disengaged and disconnected, but that somehow we will be a body of people that is humanity, fully alive, serving as an expression of your body on earth. I want to thank you today that we don't have to cut ourselves, beat ourselves up to somehow be acceptable to you, but the absolute magnificent fact that you have gifted us in a way that makes us holy and acceptable and we can show up confidently tonight that your way has made a way for us. Help us, Lord, to measure the indicators in our life, Lord. Help us to ask questions about the direction we're heading in. And for those people who are currently on a path, Lord, that's going to take them somewhere where they actually don't want to be, I pray tonight will be a moment of significance for them where they suddenly see or hear an alarm bell that tells them, where they're at, where they're heading, and that, Lord, somehow or other, you can intervene in that situation, and may they be willing to be chosen by you tonight to partner in a new story and with a new song. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for being with us, and help us to be humanity fully alive. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Do you want me to finish? Do you want to come up?